This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 147. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I have with me Jacob Paulson. Howdy, Riley. How are you? <laughs> I am doing howdy well. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Glad to hear it. Clearly, you just came back from Cheyenne. I did. I was in Wyoming this weekend. Yeah, ran the uh, Pink Ribbon Run. You know, I was there the weekend prior, you know, and uh, I did not come back saying howdy. But not that it, not that it's a bad thing, by the way, because I've said howdy many times. It's just part of the, the lingo, you know, growing up in Idaho and Wyoming. Sure. <laughs> I guess. I guess. We'll, we'll claim it if it helps, yeah. Sure, sure. Anyway, uh, welcome, folks. Today's our usual news episode of the week, bringing to you all kinds of fun, interesting hopefully helpful and educational news stories uh, covering stories uh, both uh, uh, legislative a little bit of po- a little bit of politics not too much though we keep it straight here but a whole bunch of uh, awesome justified stories a couple of these I think are really gonna wow some of our listeners uh, just phenomenal stories that we have to share here today uh, but first today's episode is brought to you by sports a field once every 30 seconds in this country a home invasion occurs Have you ever considered how you would access your gun quickly in a home invasion while still keeping your firearms stored securely? The Sports Afield line of quick access handgun safes are perfect for the task. They are foam lined yet built super tough. They'll keep your firearms protected and will allow you to quickly access them in an emergency with the reliable custom programmable four button keypad. In fact, I have one sitting right here with me, Jacob. Awesome, as you should. And, uh,. I just I, this is a this one here is the little tiny one RV one I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the top act, and the clamshell. Yeah. So I just got you know I just got this one and just got it custom programmed. Uh, so same same code that I use on my other uh, programmable safes, little handgun vaults. So uh, great little unit. So there you go. Check out Sports Afield. You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Sports Afield and use the coupon code podcast ten. P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0 and save 10% off. And today we have a training tip, and this one is support hand draw. A couple weeks ago, we uh, had, I think, for our training tip, is I think, one-handed slide racking or something like that. Uh, and part of that would include, you know, doing that with your support hand as well as your, you know, dominant hand only. Um, so have you ever considered what you would do if you had to draw your gun with your support hand only. I mean, typically a lot of us carry on our, uh, if we're right-handed, carry on our right hip or maybe even slightly behind that hip. That can be challenging. And uh, Jacob, uh, we actually did a training video recently for our Guardian Nation members. Uh, That should go live here pretty soon. And you were there. Uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about support hand draw. Yeah, support hand draw can be challenging, and this is going to change a lot depending on where you carry. So, for example, a lot of people kind of have that traditional IWB carry. You maybe have it at about 4.30, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, small back. That's really hard for for a support hand draw if you're trying to come around cross-trials 
cross-draw style. So that, that's a position we consider very difficult, but you need to have a way. So you can always come kind of around the back instead of around the front to get to that gun, but it's going to create a very awkward draw. Fingers are going to have to go between uh, gun and body instead of the thumb. And it, 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 it's cause for a lot of potential concern there. So it, it takes a lot of training and, and care. But if you're carrying appendix or maybe three o'clock strong side, then that's a different game. You can get that gun out, but it still is not your average draw, right? You're, you're going to grab that gun. You're essentially, if you were to present it on target, you're going to be holding it upside down, right? With the bore axis underneath your hand. And so you need a method to essentially rotate that. And what you don't do is chuck it up in the air and then catch it the right way. Especially if it's a sick P320. <laughs> oh, that was, that, oh, oh that, snap. That hurt. Uh, yeah, poor Sid. And, and, I'm, a, and I'm a 320 fan. <laughs> that, that was not nice. <laughs> I, I, I could not help myself. I, I uh, noticed. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, this is one of the reasons, by the way, I'm why I'm a huge fan of appendix carry now, because drawing from the appendix position is just about as, just about as easy as, uh, with your dominant hand as it is your support hand uh, from the appendix position because it's right there in front of you. It's just about, you know, even no matter how wide your girth is, uh, most chances are you can reach the appendix position. I know some of the bigger guys will say, well, I can't carry appendix because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm large. Uh, but uh, you know what? I, I know some guys that have a little bit of a little bit of a gut, and they're still able to make it work. It's all about experimentation. I mean, so it's challenging to make just about any concealed carry position work, uh, no matter who who you are. Uh, if you remember the first time you tried IWB, you're probably like, "Hmm, this is different and awkward and uncomfortable or whatever." And you know, over time, you you, you play with things and you figure them out and you find something that works. But anyway, appendix position is great for support hand only draw because it's right there in front of you. But regardless if you're drawing from there or drawing from your hip or be behind your hip, uh, be careful with going behind the back. That's a little bit more challenging, I, I think, uh, as far as it, there is some opportunity there to, you know, make a mistake, you know, grab the gun kind of in the wrong way. And, you know, Fingers the thing we got to watch. For, but th- that's true, by the way, too, of drawing uh, in front of your body, you know, cross draw, reaching over. Um because the thing we have to watch for is we don't really have well-developed, you know, so-called muscle memory with our support hand, especially when we're grabbing a gun backwards. And so there can be a tendency for a pinky finger or some other finger or something to slip into the trigger guard. So we want to watch that really closely. But either way, if I'm drawing that gun and it comes out of the holster upside down, I don't want to shoot it upside down. And how am I going to get that transitioned to right side up? And the key is, is to come up to your chest lay it basically on your chest and roll the gun. So over top of the slide. So essentially you're holding that gun, the grip of the gun in your support hand with the gun upside down in the hand and you bring it to the chest, pin it there and then rotate it with the grip. So the grip's going to swing outward, right? So that the, it basically the pivot is on the slide and it's pivoting against your chest. You're basically holding it there with I usually use the blade of my hand. So as I, I kind of grab the grip, I, I pull it out, maintaining the blade of my hand or the, the you know edge of my hand on the gun, and I kind of roll it over. And once you get it rolled over, then you can retransition and grip the gun normally and proceed to using it, you know, support hand only. So it's not the easiest thing to do in the world, but it is a skill I think it's important to consider and to practice, and it certainly requires practice to get it down to where it could be effective for you in a you know life or death encounter. 
well described, Riley. It wasn't, I hope. <laughs> uh, but if, if you'd like to see a training video on this, uh, hopefully you're a Guardian Nation member. It'll be in our members only, you know, in our training skills and drills videos section of the of the Guardian Nation membership. Uh, you can go there, see the video. It should go live hopefully this week. Uh, might be towards the end of the week, but it should go live here very soon. Today's episode is also brought to you by VTAC Gear, uh, Viking Tactics, and also Mantis X. And so there you go. There's our, there are our sponsors for today. Appreciate them and for making this episode possible. Let's get now to our first story, and that is this San Antonio homeowner shooting a burglary suspect. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, Jacob. Okay, so, yeah, so essentially, the police say that the suspect got into the garage of a home there in San Antonio and then entered the kitchen. So make sure you keep your garage closed and make sure you lock that door from the garage to the house. A woman inside heard a noise in the garage, and so she went and retrieved, meaning she didn't have it with her, there's a problem, her 357 handgun. Because in San Antonio, that's what you got. You got a 357 handgun. I'm just Nice choice of handgun. Yeah, it's great. Serious I mean, firepower. It's going to work. A police report states the woman and the man then spotted one another and the suspect ran out of the house. So this was, uh, you know, this this guy just, he was looking for, you know, un, unopposed, you know, takings, right? Just, just the sight of another human. And maybe he saw the gun, we don't know. But just the sight of someone made him run. So investigators say the woman followed the suspect to see where he was going and fired one round in his direction, quote, out of fear that he may return, end quote. The woman then told police that the man fled on foot across the street, but then turned, ran back to her house, jumped a fence, and ran west towards some other street. And they searched the neighborhood and unable to find the man. Uh, they didn't find any blood, so the assumption is that her shot did not uh, you know, impact the, the criminal in this case. Yeah. So she fired around in his direction. I, I get that she said out of fear that he may return. Um. But the thing I thought was really interesting about the story, I mean, besides, I mean, she fired the round, right? But then it tells us that the shot fired by the woman damaged a side window at her neighbor's house. That's, I mean, typically we advise on this podcast and just so that it's clear, we are not attorneys or anything like that, but I don't think you have to be an attorney to advise that this is not something you should do. And that is fire at, you know, a, a, a burglar that is running away. And how many, how many times we come across these stories, Jacob? All the time, you know, All and, the time, and there's like every week to clarify, there's, there's a couple different issues here. Like there's, there's just the same old traditional thing that we're always talking about where it's like, Hey, you know, when they're not a threat anymore, we shouldn't be shooting. Like, yeah, that, that, that applies here. Don't get me wrong. That's totally true. But another thing that maybe we don't always emphasize well, or that maybe we we haven't addressed significantly enough is that what if you miss like what what if it not had just hit some side window what if it hit the neighbor now you have something to live with that's going to be tough to live with not to mention you know all the potential legal stuff like that's 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 a side note for me i'm thinking more about the the ethical issue of man i just shot an innocent neighbor's kid you know, across the street. So, you know, we're, we're not in a battlefield where, you know, if you miss one target, maybe you hit another one further away. Like, no, this, this is a public place where the vast majority of the people walking around are not criminals and are not threats. So there's, 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 there's other factors at play here. Yeah. And and that's what was so concerning to me is 
that she fires at the guy running away, uh, but that misses and goes through a window of her neighbor's house. I mean, yeah, that, that, that is why it's so critical that number one, we don't ever miss. And two, in this case, she shouldn't have been firing in the first place, uh, because he's no longer a threat at that point. Um, she said, out of fear, he may return. And it does say that apparently at some point he turned and ran back and jumped her fence and then went some other direction or something weird. Um, but but here's the thing. I mean, if he's running away and you fire out of fear, he may return. How about you wait to fire when you see that he returns? Well, and it's not clear. Or, like or to give her the benefit of the doubt, right? Like it's possible that that the way that the story is written doesn't fully describe it. Maybe she didn't fire until he ran back toward her house and then she fired, you know, uh, that that's conceivably true, right? Like that's that, that wouldn't go against what the story says, only that it does. It's not the picture that the story paints um, the, the way it's written. That's a fair point, but still, um, you know, you've got to be able to art- articulate this. That's one thing that becomes very clear. Uh, if you, watch the Guardian Nation live uh, episode that we did with uh, Andrew Branca uh, a couple weeks ago. A f- really great episode. And uh, he he talked about the importance of art- articulation, you know, being able to articulate the whys, you know, a person did something uh, in self-defense. And if you can't do that, you've, you've really got a trouble or, or you have trouble. And, you know, so even if this guy turns and starts coming back your direction, I mean, like, okay, you can shut and lock your door, right? Now, do you see a weapon in his hand? Do you see a knife? Do you see a gun? Do you see a baseball bat? If not, then you probably sh- still shouldn't be shooting. Lock and secure that door and, you know, <laughs> defend defend the home. Defend yourself, you know, in a reasonable uh, strategic position within the home. You know, and some of those things are noble. Like, um, you know, there's something innate about a good person, right? And I'd love to believe this woman's a good person. That she, she said she, she yeah, she went to see where the man was going, right? Where, you know, that's what it said. Uh, let's see, how did she say it? Followed the suspect to see where he was going. So, you know, there's there might be parts of you that like want to help out the police, right? Like, I want to see which way he went so I can, you know, and like you might do that without even thinking about it, but that may not be best for you. Like, like you, like Riley said, right. Just lock the door. Like, okay, great. Yeah. I, I got rid of him. Like I'm safe now. Now I know, I understand people doing things in the heat of the moment that, uh, it, it, that's the nature of it. I mean, you just kind of, you just sort of react and maybe react without thinking, but that's something that that's why it's why I make a big deal out of this. And it's why we talk about these sorts of things all the time on the podcast. I mean, I know it's probably repetitive at times. I know it's maybe redundant, uh, but there's, there's a reason that we are because we still see these sorts of things occur. I know they're going to continue to occur, but it's our job. And I'm frankly, I'm very passionate about it to make sure that our listeners really take it seriously and that they, and that they don't make these types of mistakes. Uh, and I'm not saying any of our listeners are making these mistakes. I'm just saying, you know, i really feel like I have to make sure that, that we do our job to educate the public, uh, about these types of situations. And one of the things that I really think a person has to do is rehearse in your mind a lot of different possible scenarios and how you might respond. Because that mental rehearsal, rehearsal we've talked about before in the podcast, is something we talked at length with uh, uh, Kyle Lamb about, uh, you know, about mental rehearsals and that that can be 
it doesn't replace obviously live fire or live training or going through some sort of you know force on force uh, uh, scenario, uh, but it is very valuable. And certainly, what it does is it prepares your mind to hopefully execute properly when those sorts of things occur. So give that some thought. I think that's a good lesson for today. And that's why we featured this episode or this, excuse me, this story at the top of today's episode. Let's turn now to New Jersey. Uh, the headline here, just being reported on uh, nj2as.org. This is the New Jersey Second Amendment Society. Uh, the story is New Jersey Dems or Democrats have 20 gun control bills lined up if Murphy, Murphy becomes governor. And that, that's referring to Phil Murphy, who is uh, he's announced his uh, he's running for governor. Uh, you know, Chris Christie uh, has been the governor for a number of years now. And so there is, you know, a lot of folks on the other you know side of things there that are i mean they're hopeful that phil murphy becomes a governor he's extremely you know liberal particularly where it comes to gun control uh and it, this particularly this prospect of having someone other than governor christie in charge has senate majority leader loretta weinberg uh very excited because she says she has 20 gun control bills lined up for murphy to sign if and when he gets elected now many of these have been bills that governor christie has vetoed and rightly so i might add uh some of these bills get this listen to this jacob says that some of these were are banning all semi-automatic rifles, instituting a magazine capacity limit of five rounds, mandating home inspections for gun owners, requiring psychological evaluations to own a gun, which you have to pay for, by the way. What do you... (laughs) This is crazy stuff. This is... This is hardcore government, you know, controlling our lives. Uh, yeah, almost just, conspiracy theory type, you know, stuff to a degree. It's, it's tip of iceberg. I mean, there'll be mandatory insurance. I mean, there'll be a lot of things. And <laughs> you know, this is not this is not okay. These are things that are so against our constitutional rights, right? It, it's I mean, it's it's completely infringing uh, in a way that's not reasonable by people who don't understand what they're legislating. It's scary, and and thank goodness that Governor Kristner was there to veto these things, right? Uh, he's been he's been vetoing this crap for years, and that that that's kind of good. I mean, that's his job. That's what he's supposed to do, as far as I'm concerned, is uphold constitutional land. So, yeah, if if uh, you know, frankly, it's a miracle that we ever had Governor Christie as a governor in New Jersey to begin with. I I don't know the history of how in the world that he got elected, but um, yeah, New Jersey. If if you live there and you thought it was bad before. It might be time to start looking for a job elsewhere. Yeah, because it sounds like if and it's really not a question of if. I mean, at some point, uh, you know, there will be another Democrat governor of New Jersey, one that is likely anti-gun, and things are going to get worse there. They're going to get worse, uh, which is kind of a shame, you know, because you remember Jacob, we went and took that uh, Sig P three twenty armors course in uh, Randolph, New Jersey, mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. what was that range RSTP or something like that. that was nice. Great yeah. range, wasn't it? Impressive. Yeah, I beautiful. Mean, I was blown away at, at how nice of a of a range facility this was, all indoor, uh, right, kind of in the heart of New Jersey, and you know, I mean, they got AR fifteens, and uh, you know, people are 
you know, shooting and having a good time and, you know, doing so and enjoying, you know, their rights uh, with, within the bounds of the law and, and, you know, constitutionally. And uh, I mean, some of these bills are talking about taking a lot of that away. And uh, that, that would just be a shame to see to come to the people of New Jersey. Now, why is this important to all the rest of us? I mean, we're out here in Colorado. And of course, we know uh, many of our listeners. I mean, you're, you're in Texas, you're in California, you're in Florida, you're in uh, you know, Kansas and Missouri and all over the place. Uh, why, why does this impact you and why we talk about it here? Well, because if, if this sort of thing has been talked about and coming to somewhere like New Jersey. Uh, we already know about a lot of the crazy gun control laws in New York. We're going to talk about that a little bit some more here in a minute. Uh, California. I mean, if it's coming there, you know, eventually there's the, p- the potential for it to come anywhere because those people are out there and they want that kind of stuff. They want that kind of control. S- speaking of which, we have another story here in just a minute talking about a gun control type bill on from a national level. And so, I mean, yeah, this type of stuff, even though we've got a pretty favorable house of representatives, Senate and president sitting in the white house that where I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, as far as additional gun control being passed nationwide, we've got to, we cannot let our guard down. And I see, I see that happening to a degree. I see people getting like, okay, whew, we can breathe, you know, uh, we're, we're good for at least four years, you know, and it's like, mm, no, we, 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 we can't back down. Yeah, the, the fight has always been and continues to be at the state level. And that yeah. game is not over, not even close. Yeah. And we wish you luck and the, you know, the best, uh, the best of luck in New Jersey. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what can perhaps be done because obviously, uh, the demographics are not very good there as far as, uh, you know, supporting electing, yeah, electing pro gun candidates to state offices. But uh, you elected Governor Christie, you know, good luck, fight hard, don't give up. Let's turn now to a story. Uh, this is on guns.com. And this is really, f- uh, I think this is a fascinating story. Um, and frankly, overdue. Uh, this the title here is bipartisan bill looks to strike race ethnicity questions from ATF forms, and so we're talking about the form forty four seventy three, which is the form you fill out, uh, kind of as part of initiating in most states the background check. You know, you, you it, really it's not necessarily tied to a background check uh, specifically, uh, but in most states it is, and uh, it's really the form that tracks and records transfers of firearms, and on this form. You know, you're all gun owners out there, most likely. You've filled it out before. There's a couple of questions. Question 10A asks about your ethnicity. Number one, first, are you Hispanic or Latino or non-Hispanic or Latino? And then question 10B gets more specific and asks, are you American Indian, Asian, Black or African American, Native Hawaiian? Uh, There's maybe one more thing, and then it says white. (laughs) Right? And... uh, why is that question on the on for on the form forty four seventy three? I I don't know. I mean, the the implication is that they do something with that data. That the data is somehow valuable, some way, somehow. And I have no idea how in the world that data would be valuable. I mean, reporting on you know what ethnicity of people are are buying guns. I I don't. I can't imagine how that has any value whatsoever. Yeah, and so this is a uh, actually a bipartisan bill. You've got uh, U.S. Senator Roy Blunt represent. Uh, rep- 
Republican rep, uh, representative from Missouri. Uh, there's seven co-sponsors, including West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin. Uh, so they've all signed on to back this bill. And the purpose of this bill is to remove any of those race-related questions from these ATF forms. And I, like I said, I think it's, I think it's overdue. Uh, I don't see any reason for that information to be necessary to uh, purchasing a, a firearm. In fact, frankly, if I'm if we're opening that can of worms, Jacob, I'm I'm kind of wondering why do we need to put height and weight and all of that on that form? Yeah, that's that's all legit. I mean, especially since supposedly all that data essentially gets destroyed at the federal level, right? I mean, there's some copy of that in some file cabinet, some FFL dealer that gets kept. I, I can't imagine like what what value that supplies in any way at all. I mean, but I mean, like you said, we could go down that road. Like, why is gender matter? Uh, if it's a guy or a, guy or a girl buying a gun, I, I don't know that it matters. Yep. Uh, I mean, except that perhaps some of those things might help with identification. Like, if you can make the argument, perhaps, that, a, you know, knowing this person, what they claim to be their eye color or hair color or, you know, gender or whatever helps us confirm that that really is who they say it is, that identity is accurate. Maybe, you know, that's not something I understand fully in terms of how that works, but if that helps with identification, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I know for a lot of our listeners, uh, they're probably sitting there, they're probably yelling at their phones or their radio or however they're listening to the podcast today and going, why do we even have to fill out a form, period, to exercise a constitutional right? That's a great question. You know, certainly up, to, up for debate. Uh, but but this is at least a step in the right direction as far as sometimes we have to chip and chisel away at, you know, at the gun control that is already existing and, you know, break that down bit by bit and hey, we're we're just reporting on it, bringing it to you, and bravo. We hope to see this go through, uh, and uh, hopefully soon there'll be a revision to uh, ATF Form forty four seventy three. Um, in regards to that, uh, hopefully we'll see some other things go through as well. Uh, you know, some things that are still sitting in committee, by the way, are both the uh, uh, the Shush Act, which is the the one. Uh, Silencer-related bill that's to just basically completely deregulate uh, silencers, and then you've got the Hearing Protection Act, the HPA uh, bill that uh, regulates, you know, basically deregulates silencers to a degree, but still kind of treats them like a firearm to where you got to buy it from a dealer and go through a background check. And those are still sitting in committee, by the way. So we, we hope you haven't forgotten about that. Uh, those are definitely, you know. I, Either one of those bills, I mean, the Shush Act would be amazing. Uh, it's probably a little far-reaching, but I'd love to see either one of those passed. And just a reminder to get out there, contact your representative and senator's offices. Uh, let them know of your support for these bills. Let them know also of your support for this uh, bill that we just talked about today. You know, we got to get some of this pushed through. Uh, some of those manufacturers, silencer uh, manufacturers uh, and dealers are, they're, they're actually hurting because people are not buying because they're thinking, I'm going to wait till this passes. Well, let's get it passed. Let's get it pushed through. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, John Stossel, uh, just recently on, on, on Reason TV channel on uh, YouTube, as uh, a video post, a little, you know, kind of uh, investigative report, if you will. Uh, I, you know, I, I get a kick out of John, a lot of John Stossel's work. Uh, it's entertaining uh, as far as journalism goes, but uh, usually pretty factually good. 
And so this uh, video, of course, link is in the show notes. You know, go check it out. Uh, it's titled NYC Government Traumatizes Gun Owners. And I think he makes the point pretty well through the video uh, as to you know how it is they're traumatizing gun owners. Uh, I, I think you watched it, Jacob. But uh, what did you think of the video? I don't know if you're ready for my opinions on this because I got some pretty strong things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're. Not <laughs> I'm not ready. Uh, okay, I'm ready. For All right, anything, brother. All right, I'm sorry. I'm just. Here, here's the deal. I watched the video, and uh, let me talk about the video first. But but then I read the comments. And that got me fired up. So, the the video essentially, John, you know, makes makes the case or illustrates essentially that New York City essentially arrests somebody almost, you know, like they make he makes it seem like you know at least once a week they're gonna they're gonna arrest and prosecute somebody for bringing a gun to a New York City airport. And he talks about how these people, you know, they they're following all the TSA guidelines. Um, they have a license for their gun, which of course doesn't exist. So I don't know what the crap he means by that. Maybe he means permit. Um, they have a, maybe they have a concealed carry permit from their state, but their I guess their gun is legal. You know, they they have they they have obtained that gun legally. They own it legally uh, where they live. They've checked it on a trip to New York. They checked it properly at their at their origin. You know, maybe if they were coming from Denver, for example. They follow the TSA guidelines. It's locked up correctly, blah, blah, blah. They get to New York. They have a good, fancy old time. And then on their way home, they obviously bring that gun and check it at New York City Airport in the same way they did elsewhere, following the same TSA guidelines. But, oh, no, they didn't realize that New York City had these other laws uh, you know, above and beyond the TSA guidelines. They get arrested. They get prosecuted. And it's hoorah drama, and it happens all the time. And that's bullcrap. That's essentially the video. That that's John's argument, and uh, I, I I agree with him one hundred percent. Is that bullcrap? Absolutely, it's bullcrap. But but, are you ready for my opinions? I'm ready for your dog too. Apparently, <laughs> that's okay. Go ahead, Jacob. I think we can live with the barking. Kenya, the FedEx man's here. <laughs> that that means some goodies are being brought, right? Okay, I've sufficiently yelled at the dog. And okay, so. <laughs> I, should i pick it up jacob anyway okay all right here's the deal all right uh, the dog had to hear i had to put it on mute so no one would hear me yell at my dog all right here's the problem every time something like this happens the gun community i'm talking about us our people okay us like you me listeners of this podcast we all get on your line and rant and rave about how this is a huge injustice and, you know, the TSA needs to be, you know, go away and New York is breaking the Constitution and don't they know the law of the land and blah, 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 blah. Like, before I, before, before I freak out here, let me clarify. I agree that this law is crap. I agree that New York City should not have a law in place to arrest people when they attempt to check a gun at the airport the same way it can be done everywhere else in this country. I agree. But you know what else? The law is there. It does exist. And it's not unconstitutional. <laughs> the Second Amendment does not say you have the right to check a gun at an airport. It doesn't say that. Now, it does say the right to keep and bear arms. And bear does imply, based on the way that that word is defined at the time when it was written, that that means you can carry it, you can transport it, you can have it with you. I get all that. Like, I'm not, I know I'm going to get hate mail on this, Riley, but 
we tend to want to believe that the Constitution means whatever we want it to mean, but it doesn't. The, the law means whatever our courts say it means. And at this point in time, no court that means anything has said that the Constitution means you can check a gun on a plane. That hasn't happened yet, which means that there's nothing to infer, to infer that New York City can't have a law that prevents you from doing this. So that's my first issue is that, you know, I, 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 I love for the Constitution to mean we can all have guns all the time everywhere. Like, yes. And maybe do I even think that the Constitution does infer some of those things? Yes, I do. But until a courtroom, a courtroom of stout that matters, an appellate court or a Supreme Court says that's what it means, it doesn't mean that. And no matter how much any of us think it should or think it does. So I think that we sometimes just run away with what we want the Constitution to mean or what we think it should mean based on our own opinion. And, and I, like, I, I'm, I feel it. I'm with you guys. Like, I have the same opinion, but that doesn't make it the law of the land if, if a court hasn't said so. Okay, so that's my first thought. My second thought is this. As a responsible gun owner, I mean, if you watch this video, the first person he interviews is this mom, and I feel bad for her. She's traveling with her three kids. She gets arrested. Uh, it's awful, the, the expense she has to go to. I, I totally am sympathetic. But I also sit there and say, you mean to tell me you have a concealed handgun permit, you travel around this country all the time with your gun, and no one ever told you, you never researched to find out that you, you should check with each individual airport before you show up with the gun to see if they have any policies or procedures above and beyond the TSA guidelines. I, if you never heard that, if you've never done the research to, to learn that, then I don't know that you're a very responsible gun owner. Yeah. Well, that's, those are good points. And I mean, that is kind of one big lesson to take away from this. And you're right. You watch the video. My heart also, you know, I, kind of, I'm, I also kind of sympathize with this, this woman. It's like, yeah, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Uh, it's not, it's not right. Uh, these laws are not right in my opinion. Um, but unfortunately they, they are the law of the land for a place like New York city. And we've got to educate ourselves when we travel, uh, particularly to a place like that. I mean, it's a, it's, it's kind of unfathomable to me to think that she would not know or understand that the gun she was carrying with her into and out of New York city was against the law. Like they, that she wouldn't, like I, I don't know maybe I, maybe I'm naive to think that everybody knows that New York City gun laws are ridiculous I mean we're not just talking about New York State New York State alone is that's one issue and it's it's pretty bad but New York City takes it to a whole new level and so we've just got to know this and we've got to research everywhere we go before we travel to these places um, so you know a little shameless plug here uh, you you should have some resources for this. Uh, one of those would be, you know, we, we, we sell on our website this uh, uh, Firearms Traveler's Guide uh, to 50 states. Uh, it's a great little simple guide, easy to understand. It's not completely comprehensive, um, but it's a pretty good start. And just by having that handy, chances are you're going to avoid a lot of trouble. Um, it's not, you know, it's very, very affordable. Go pick up a copy today. Uh, number two, we have tons of resources on our website. And so you can go check those out as well. 
And uh, number three, a, a little shameless plug, and I might put a little bit of fire under Jacob's butt here, but <laughs> we're working on revamping our app. And I hope at some point, I don't know when this might be, but I hope at some point that people can find a lot of this information, you know, travelers information, laws and stuff right in our app. Not available yet, but did I just open too much of a can there, Jacob? No, that's fine. I, we are we are working on that. I, I, there's endless websites, though. I mean, we we would love to be the source of all things guns, of course. But there, you know, there, we're not the only players. There's lots of places you can find this info, and I think it's it's unfortunate that this happened to these people. But it's also irresponsible that a gun owner would throw that gun in the bag and just assume all is going to be good and dandy everywhere. Like, we 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 have to know that we're in an environment. By environment, I mean the United States of America, where gun laws change from state to state, from place to place, and that there there is an obligation, whether we'd like it or not, to do that research. So I think it was irresponsible uh, of these people to do what they did. I also think it's ridiculous that New York has these laws, but they are laws, and they are allowed to have laws, and these particular laws, in my opinion, uh, you know, uh, if I put on my attorney hat, and I'm not an attorney, but if I put on the hat and said I'm an attorney, then then I would say, you know what, th- these laws are in fact constitutional today uh, until we get a court, you know, an appellate court or a Supreme Court to say otherwise, because um, that's just the way it is. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I wish it wasn't that way. And I agree that the Constitution should protect our right to do this, and that I even perhaps think that it does protect our right to do this, but until a court says so, it, it, it doesn't protect our right to do that. Yeah. Uh, watch that video to the end, by the way, and, and, and listen to the interview that John Stossel does with Jack Ryan. Uh, uh, awesome name, by the way. Just uh, unfortunately, this guy is a... <laughs> <laughs> we would not be friends. Uh, this is the Queen's chief assistant district attorney. Uh, and some of his responses are just, uh, it just makes my eyes want to bleed and my head explode. Anyway, interesting topic there. And it's, it, it, like I said, this kind of comes on the hills where we just talked about all these gun control bills that New Jersey, the Senate majority leader there, you know, has ready to go as soon as they get their governor in place. So they can push those through, and New Jersey just turns into another New York City. And uh, it's already pretty bad there, but it gets just worse and worse and worse. We, we, we cannot let our guard down. Uh, speaking of other gun control legislation, uh, particularly, I mean, this is actually outside of the country. This is in the Czech Republic. And the Czech Republic is a part of the European Union. <sighs> We don't need to go into the politics of, you know, why the European Union is such a bad idea. Uh, but I think most people probably understand, yeah, probably not a good idea to get in bed with a, uh, a multi-nation you know, uh, government uh, that uh, can then just hand down draconian laws uh, that just don't make any sense and make you know life really miserable for people. But, I mean, the Czech Republic, they make a lot of guns. You got companies based there like CZ, uh, the folks that actually make the XD and XDM guns for Springfield Armory. You've got uh, uh, a bunch of gun manufacturers there, so there's quite a quite a, a uh, an industry, a firearms industry, just right there in the Czech Republic. And then also the Czech Republic has a strong tradition of civilian gun ownership, a little bit at odds with some of their European counterparts. And so what's happened is, and this is re, this is on the NRA ILA.org website, the story is Czechs file suit challenging EU or European Union gun controls. And 
essentially what's happened is that uh, the European Union has passed re- uh, regulations or laws that uh, uh, to limit certain types of semi-automatic firearms. And they also reduce gun owner privacy and place new restrictions on state-issued firearm licenses. Czech, the Czech Republic made clear before this was even you know pushed through that, hey, this is not cool. We are not on board with this. We will fight this. And they have now uh, filed a lawsuit in the European Court of Justice, which is their way of you know filing a, a, a filing suit against you know things within the European Union. And uh, you know it'll be interesting to kind of see what comes out of this. Um, but it's just yet another reminder of what can happen when gun control uh, kooks run rampant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's a great statement from Czech Interior Minister Milan Chovanec, maybe? Is that how you say it? All right, quote, Such a massive punishment of decent arms holders is unacceptable because banning legally held weapons has no connection with the fight against terrorism. This is not only a nonsensical decision, once again undermining people's trust in the EU, but implementing the directive could also have a negative impact on the internal security of the Czech Republic because a large number of weapons could move to the black market. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, he's exactly right in that. Um, also says here in the, in the succeeding paragraph, with a difficult legal battle ahead, the Czechs are not relying solely on the European Court of Justice to vindicate their rights. On June 28th, the Czech Chamber of Deputies approved a change to the Czech Constitution that would protect citizens' rights to possess firearms. The amendment recognizes an armed citizenry as part of the country's security scheme, which curtails the EU's authority to interfere interfere with Czech gun laws. Isn't this so fascinating to have... You've got your own com- country, which, you know... <sighs> The whole point of having a country is to have sovereign, you know, sovereignty, and then you compromise that as by being part of, 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 of another government, and uh, they're having to pass amendments to their constitution that says this ain't going to fly in our within our borders. You know, I have a simpler solution. How about you get out of the EU? That could do it. <laughs> so anyway i'm not gonna spend much more time on that just I, I thought that story was interesting and uh kind of you know relevant to what we've been talking about it's it's clear we're kind of setting the tone or establishing a theme in today's episode about uh really gearing down you know buckling down uh and, and not letting up with the fight speaking of fight by the way I just wanted to address this. This this certainly is on people's minds. Uh, Just recently in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, there was, uh, you know, these uh, uh, white nationalists or whatever, right? And uh, also the Antifa, you know, groups. And, you know, there was a protest and then a counter protest and fights broke out and some dude rammed, rammed into the crowd with his car, killed somebody, injured 19 others. Just want to go on the record as that is not cool. Uh, and it's shameful, and uh, we, we shouldn't tolerate that in our country. So just just so that's clear, um, uh, hearts and prayers go out to those uh, injured and, and, and hurt in the attack. It certainly should not have happened, and it's not right that it happened. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the way those guys are going about 
uh, protesting and uh, fighting for supposed rights and uh, their view of the Constitution. It's not, not, not the right way to go. That's not the fight I'm talking about. Uh, you know, and of course, on this podcast, we're very much focused on on guns, gun rights, on self-defense, on firearm-related training. Uh, we're very much focused on fighting for our constitutional Second Amendment, you know, gun-related rights. And that's a fight that, that we've got to make sure we continue uh, carrying on. Go Riley. Yeah. Should I get off a soapbox now? I think I calmed down off mine, so. <laughs> so why don't you take the lead on this next story? Guns.com, new bill bans pistol sales until they can micro-stamp their bullets. All right, so some background or some clarity here. So understand that when the uh, striker, right, the, the firing pin essentially strikes the primer of a round, uh, igniting the primer, which ignites the power, which pushes the bullet out of the shell or the casing, that leaves a mark on that back of the primer where the firing pin strikes the round. And there's been some technology, I guess, if I can use that word, uh, in the past that has essentially allowed that that firing pin, when it strikes the primer, that it can stamp the primer with a very specific, you know, number or code or list of, you know, serial number-esque type concept. And, it, you know, there's not enough space that you could probably have a unique stamp for every gun in America, you know, or, or every gun made in America. But, you know, the premise is that it could at least maybe have make and model kind of info or something, right? And this this has been proven that it can be done. Guns have been manufactured to to that end. And this bill essentially would say, hey, let's let's require by law that an FFL, a dealer who sells guns in this country, can't sell a gun, a semi-automatic gun, unless it microstamps the primer, the, the the shell casing, right when it when it when it fires. And it's pretty interesting because they didn't they didn't try and ban the manufacturing. This is what I th- found most interesting about the spills. They're, they can't. They're not saying you can't manufacture this gun. They're saying that dealers can't sell these guns, which essentially forces manufacturers to make them that way if they want to play in the in the market, right? Uh, so that that's the the rough the rough idea here. So, what this amounts to is almost like another form of gun control. I mean, of course, it is gun control. It's additional regulation on uh, whether it's the sale, manufacture, transfer, uh, whatever of, of firearms. But it it really limits choices and opportunities for a lot of people. Take California as a great example. California passed back in was like 2007, essentially a micro stamping bill or law, and that did not really go into effect until like 2013. And I, I don't think that's still like totally rolled out uh, because I know there's some things going on in some of the courts uh, relating to it, some litigation and stuff. Um, I'm not sure about all the specifics with that. But one thing that we do know as kind of a result of this, as well as some other gun control laws that have been passed in California, is that their approved list of handguns in California has shrunk from over 1,400 model options down to 766. It's almost half of what it was just a few years ago. And so, and you hear, you see those comments online all the time. People like, 
oh, sorry, you can't have that gun in California. Or, oh, man, I wish I could buy that gun because, you know, I'm in California and that was not on the approved list. There are so many guns, great guns, that people can't have or own in California because they don't meet some stupid, you know, little, they're they're on the list. All this, uh, what's the word? You know, just weird, ambiguous uh, rules relating to guns that they've passed. Uh, micro stamping would be a part of that. And uh, that's, you know, this just makes things more complicated and more expensive for firearms manufacturers, which then just increases costs and limits choice for gun owners and buyers. And so, yeah, it's just another form of ridiculous, stupid, uninformed gun control. They think that somehow this is going to reduce crime. Because they're going to be able yeah, to catch criminals better, I guess. Yeah, that that's the question to me. Is like, show me the data that shows that because you are more able, not perfectly able, but perhaps better able to match a shell casing to a gun, that you're now going to catch more criminals. Like, if you could really show me that data, like, that's what's missing from this entire article on guns.com, uh, or perhaps from the legislation that's been introduced by these House Democrats, like, just show me, like, don't don't just assume that, like, oh, I'm going to read this and say, oh, right, yeah, totally, that'll stop criminals, or we'll catch bad guys for sure. Like, show me. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I, 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 I'm open to, but currently dubious, right, doubtful that this would help in any way catch more criminals. Yeah, that's a great point because, I mean, most of the guns that criminals are using aren't even traceable to that specific criminal. I mean, did did they acquire that gun legally? Is there paperwork on that? Is there registration on that gun? Probably not. Let's say you could, let's, (laughs) and and, and don't forget that the federal law prohibits registration of guns, right? The federal law prohibits that there be a database that connects guns to their, to gun owners. So the fact that you could pick up a shell casing and say, oh, this was fired from a Glock 17, huh? Like, does that help you find the criminal? Like, that's mind blowing to me. Right, right. You still don't know at all where that gun came from or where it is. The only thing I could see is that you'd be able to, from multiple crime scenes, link, oh, this one was used here, and this one, you know, the same gun was used over there, and oh, the same gun was used last weekend over in this, you know, crime scene, and okay, well, all right, yeah, you might be able to link some crimes, and when you eventually catch up with that gun and with that person, all right, great, that's that's awesome. But here's but you the all, thing. You already can do that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the impact of the, of, the, of the firing pin on the shell casing, on the primer, already leaves a fairly distinctive mark that generally allows law enforcement to identify or link a shell casing to a gun with a pretty high percentage of, of accuracy. Yeah, but besides that, I mean, what's to keep somebody from just modifying their gun. I mean, all you got to do, and there's a great picture here with this article, it shows, you know, an example of one of these micro stamps, and you see this little, you know, CH5KB4M3 or 8, or I think it's a 3, and it's like, take a Dremel to that, and all you you don't even have to, like, perfectly file or or grind that away. All you got to do is mar it enough to where those letters are not recognizable, and then it doesn't mean anything, and you think criminals aren't going to catch on to that? (laughs) I mean, it's so easy to do. So How just, hard is it to just completely replace the firing pin? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, firing pins are one of the more easily manufactured uh, pieces within a gun. I mean, you could literally take the firing pin or the striker out of that gun, cut off you know, the, the, the pin part of it, weld on a new pin. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the easier 
pieces to 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 tamper with, to manufacture, to replace, to you know, it's just there's just so many things wrong with the logic behind, uh, you know, having or passing this type of law in our country. So keep in mind, this is U.S. House of Representative Democrats that have proposed this bill. It's known as the Make Identifiable Criminal Rounds Obvious. <laughs> Sorry, I could not read that without laughing. Uh, or micro. <laughs> yeah, we love those acronyms over there in DC. That, that, that one's really good. Make identifiable criminal rounds obvious. Wow. Um, th- this is something that's... It's not going to go anywhere at this time. But like, what did I say earlier? I, I, I kind of hinted that this was coming, that we were going to talk about on the episode. Uh, just a, another example let's, you know, we got to fight back. This is ridiculous law, uh, as most gun control laws are. All right, moving on. Let's get now to our first justified story. Well, we did kind of share one earlier that was kind of justified, but, you know, she kind of maybe made some mistakes. Um, this one, too, is interesting in a, in a way. This is in Boardman, Ohio, where a Boardman man held a, break, a break-in suspect at gunpoint until police arrived. Now, when I first read the headline, Jacob, I thought, break in. Okay, like they broke into a house or a business. But here's the story. Police said a man living in Boardman held a break-in suspect at gunpoint until officers arrived. The man, and they're, they're specific, they're, they specifically call him out as being a CCW holder, reported that he spotted two suspects going through his neighbor's car just before 2 a.m. Thursday. He then grabbed his gun and ordered them to get on the ground until officers arrived. So break-in suspects, they're, they're, they were breaking into a car. And he sees fit to go out there to stop them with his gun. According to the police report, one of the, sus- one of the suspects managed to run away when the man yelled for his girlfriend to call the police. The other suspect, a 17-year-old boy, was arrested when officers arrived. He admitted that he and his friend, who, re- who he refused to name, were breaking into cars in the area, according to the report. The owner of the car said nothing was missing, but the contents of her glove box were scattered across the front passenger seat. The teenager is charged with theft, criminal trespass, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and three other vehicles on, on in the same area were ransacked, although nothing was missing. So here's the problem that I see. We are... I, I see no problem with going out. Well, okay. I see no problem with having the gun, right? Um, but the problem is he goes out there and holds these kids at gunpoint simply because they're breaking into stuff, which or into cars, which apparently they didn't even take anything. Cause they, I guess they didn't find anything good or what? Well, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, okay, we, we, we put this in the justified stories because, hey, bravo, good for this guy. I mean, he stopped a couple of criminals. And, and I love stopping criminals. Don't get me wrong. I, I love that. Uh, and there's no mention that the, uh, you know, Good Samaritan is going to face any sort of charges. Uh, he's probably pretty lucky, I might add. Uh, probably some discretion is being used here by the uh, prosecutor, you know, going, yeah, okay, fine. And I, you know, we're not going to push this issue, but there, there was no threat to life here. And he goes out with his gun. He confronts them. That's problem. Number one. And number two is, is holding them there uh, at gunpoint when 
I, it just isn't something we we advise. We even talked about this with Andrew Bronco on the on the uh, Guardian Nation Live uh, broadcast a couple weeks ago. This this very thing, and he he said the same thing. I mean, and this is one of the most uh, knowledgeable self defense you know focused attorneys out there saying, yeah, probably not a good idea to to hold somebody essentially hostage, you know, to hold them at bay, hold them against their will, uh, essentially affect a, a, an arrest at gunpoint, especially when it was only property that was involved. So your take, Jacob. Yeah, don't do this. Do not do this. I see so many issues here. Um, yeah, like you said, having the gun with you, fine. Going outside, confronting criminals, why? Why? Like, why would I do that? Why would I put myself in more danger than I was in before? Like, I, I can never, I just don't, I can't justify putting myself into a dangerous position. Like, it just doesn't make any sense at all, right? If we're, if we're defensive, um, you know, I, I get it, right? Oh, yeah, there's breaking, like, call the cops. Oh, cops can take 20 minutes. Okay, so a couple of cars get broken into. Like, that happens, you know? But I don't want to walk out there and put myself in a situation where I can get shot. Uh, I can get hurt. I can get you know, who knows? I, I mean, there's endless, you know, one of these guys is still at large, right? Could could he have retribution now? Could he come back and be all upset about this guy who got his, his friend arrested and threatened to shoot him? I don't know. I just don't see myself ever wanting to put myself in a, in a dangerous situation when I don't have to. So there's my first my first thing. Secondly, now, what, what, was, what was the end all here? Was it to stop these guys from breaking into a car or was it to arrest them? Like the way the article reads to me, his end all was to arrest them. He grabbed his gun and ordered them to get on the ground until officers arrived. So his whole thing was, I'm going to hold these guys at, 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 in custody, right? I'm going to submit them to custody. I'm going to prevent their escape with a threat of deadly force until the cops get here. Well, in most states, that's just outright illegal. You can't do that. You aren't the place. You cannot submit people to custody and prevent their escape with the use or threat of deadly force. So it's, it's, it's probably just outright illegal. And there's nothing in the story that suggests that he was arrested or that he's pressing any charges. Nothing like that whatsoever. Of course, maybe he is, maybe he's not. We don't know. Nothing to suggest that. People do get away with that kind of thing all the time, but that doesn't make it legal. It doesn't make it tactical, and it certainly doesn't make it ethical. So anyway, all that aside, I guess, yeah, my two cents would be probably illegal, almost certainly a bad idea. And and for me personally, never. Yeah. I know our listeners hear this this same rant all the time on the podcast, and maybe they get sick of it. But uh, once again, I mean, we just feel it's our duty to to remind, to inform, to educate. Uh, well, let me just bring into it. I, I think a a reasonable example, a relevant example. Um, we all remember George Zimmerman, right? And uh, you know, George Zim- George Zimmerman has gotten a lot of hate over what he did, you know, there's many people that said he never had to get out of the car. He shouldn't have got out of the car. He shouldn't have continued following, you know, this, you know, kid, this Trayvon Martin. Uh, but, you know, did, the same people a lot of times I, I, I've seen that would criticize what George Zimmerman did would at the same time go, hey, bravo to this guy. But what he did is, is not really any different. Because he basically went looking for for the trouble when he didn't have to, and you, you just open the door, the opportunity that the gun comes into play when it didn't need to, and that just it increases your, your chance of 
making a mistake, taking somebody's life, facing charges or a lawsuit of some sort just went from zero to something much greater than zero. And it didn't have to. So we talk about it here and I go back to those mental rehearsals. Think about it. Play this out in your mind. Imagine yourself being awakened in the night. And this has happened to me where somebody is outside busting into your neighbor's car. That literally happened to me a little more than a year ago where I was awakened and somebody was, it, it appeared they were breaking in. It really was just causing vandalism, but it, it would appear they were breaking into my neighbor's car and it just play that out in your mind. How do you respond? Do you immediately grab your gun and run out there? That's the wrong move. So play that out. Prepare yourself mentally as to how to handle that. Stay put. You want to have your gun in your hand? Fine. You know, inside your house, behind closed and locked doors, be on the phone with 911, calling everything in, and be ready to prepare yourself if, if, if the, you know, things present, if that sort of uh, situation presents itself within the confines of your home. But it's, let's not invite that opportunity to, to put ourselves at greater risk. All right. So let's get on now to story number two of our justified stories. Um, Ex-boyfriend shot after violating order of protection, attacking man, deputies say. Great story. Yeah. Uh, this was in Polk County, North Carolina. A man ignored order of protection, went to his ex-girlfriend's house with a container of gasoline. That usually means you want to burn a place down. And a baseball bat and attacked a man who shot him in self-defense, deputies say. Joshua Cuthbertson went to his girlfriend's home Monday, despite being aware of the order of protection prohibiting contact with her. Deputies said a man who was at the home came outside after dogs started barking. And he then smelled a strong odor of gasoline near his vehicle. The man said he found Cuthbertson hiding behind his vehicle, and Cuthbertson then attacked him with a baseball bat, hitting him in the head multiple times. The man shot Cuthbertson and then helped care for him until EMS arrived. And apparently Cuthbertson is going to survive. He was taken to the hospital with multiple gunshot wounds. He is charged with assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill and a violation of a protection order. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just throw out the probably the most unique thing about this story. I don't know if we've actually ever covered a justified story in this podcast before where the good guy you know, with the gun started to administer some sort of a first aid to the person they just shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, the man shot Cuthbertson and then helped care for him until EMS arrived. Wow. Like that's, I'm, I, not, not to suggest that we all should, but I do think that's pretty dang noble. Uh, I, I mean, I think if anything were to happen in the courtroom, yeah, that would really play to his favor. And, and again, I'm not saying that any of us should or have any obligation to do so. It could, in fact, be very dangerous to do so. I'm merely just pointing out that, wow, like that's pretty unique and crazy. Like, geez. All right. So anyway, off, off of that, uh, I, I really appreciate that, you know, this guy had the gun with him. That's one thing. We, we, we read a lot of the justified stories where it's home invasion and the good guy has to go retrieve the gun from somewhere in the house and then you know, returning, they, they confront the, the BG, right? The bad guy, bad gal. Uh, but this, this instance is a case where that would not have been an opportunity, right? That would not have been an option. You know, he's like, hey, I smell gas out here. Walks out, you know, goes around the car. Boom, whacked in the head with a baseball bat. You know, what are you going to do? Run back in the house and get a gun? Like, no, you're going to keep getting whacked with baseball bat if you don't do something now. So he drew and shot. Uh, he had it with him. And he walked out there, had it, 
and and was ready to go. So that that I think was a really good you know illustration of how important it is to have that gun with you. And in this case, having not had that gun with him, I mean he 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 could have died. You know, a repeat hits to the head with a baseball bat can do quite a bit of damage. Yeah, uh, that's pretty scary. I mean, when I read that hitting him hit hitting him in the head with a baseball bat multiple times, that's a pretty serious you know potential for uh for injury there for wounding um uh, it's it's remarkable to me that this guy didn't uh you know get knocked out and fall unconscious uh or even potentially be killed uh the fact he was able to continue on in the fight which that's a great example i mean that's another reason why i really liked the story is because he clearly didn't just give up um or give in he continued fighting uh of course he then went to his gun drew his gun and shot uh but but that is just a, and that's a remarkable story. It's remarkable, remarkable because of that. It's remarkable because of uh, him, you know, administering aid after the fact. You know, I hope that he took caution with with that. Yeah, I, I've, I'm on the. I've on the podcast. I've cautioned about you know shooting a bad guy and then just immediately going to you know aiding them. Uh, something that should be approached with caution. Uh, they they could still pose a, a threat to you. But I mean, it's remarkable now. It still has a similar tie-in to our last story where it's like, well, you know, why'd you go outside? I mean, it, it's clearly in the other story, the, the guy could see and knew that, oh, someone's breaking into a car. I got to go stop them. This one's more of a, well, dogs are barking. I wonder what they're barking at. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just just be careful. Um, uh you can check on things hopefully from your windows. Uh, just maintain that that security uh, is just a really important thing. But uh, you know you don't have to put yourself out there all the time. Um, but if you do, go prepared. This man was prepared. He was able to fight. He was able to win. So uh, kudos to him, I suppose. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Final story, and uh, I been uh, excited to get to this one uh, for the whole episode here because this one happened in uh, Seminole, Florida. Uh, this is one that, frankly, I feel like, Jacob, this should have seen and should see national media attention, in my opinion. I mean, this amounts to a, a terrorist-like, you know, mass, you know, attack you know, I mean, it wasn't a mass shooting because the the perpetrator was not using a gun; he was using a knife. Now, how many times have we seen where the national media jumps on a story? You know, a man in Michigan, you know, stabbing people with a knife. You know, like police on the lookout, or you know, like like this is one. This is a pretty crazy story. You have an armed robber. Okay, and it started out where, let me start in the beginning of the story here. So this is on August 6th, around 12.40 p.m. So this is middle of the day. This is in a parking lot, and uh, there was a woman by the name of Ros- Rosanna Lynn. She's uh, sitting in her 2010 Toyota Highlander when Bobby Martin Watson of St. Petersburg is accused of walking up to her vehicle, opening the door, and trying to reach for her purse. She struggled with Watson and was subsequently stabbed in the abdomen and left thigh. An email from the sheriff's office said, Watson, the the sheriff's office said, took off on foot after stabbing her. Then, 
another person, Christopher McMahon of St. Petersburg, noticed the struggle and tried to help Lynn, the woman. Deputies say Watson stabbed McMahon in the back and kept running toward the Seminole City Shopping Center. Despite the stab wound, deputies say McMahon kept on chasing Watson and was joined in the pursuit by another witness, Travis Jones of Seminole. As Jones and McMahon chased Watson across 113th Street eastbound, deputies say Donald Rush of Washington, Pennsylvania, also noticed the commotion. He's not even from the area. Rush grabbed a handgun from his vehicle and joined in the foot pursuit of Watson. McMahon and Jones were able to to tackle Watson, but deputies say Jones was stabbed in the abdomen during the struggle that ensued. So, to to kind of recap here from the beginning, we have a woman, uh, Rosanna Lynn, he opens up her car door, tries to take her purse, she fights back, he stabs her in the stomach and then in the thigh. Could be a deadly wound, by the way. I mean, stomach as well as the thigh sure. might hit an artery. Uh, that's that's pretty scary stuff. Uh, McMahon sees this, goes to help her, gets stabbed in the back, then chases after the man, after Watson. Then Jones sees this and goes, whoa, hey, and he tries to help. They tackle Watson, and then in the course of that, Jones gets stabbed. So we have three people getting stabbed. This is frankly, compared to what the national media reports most of the time, this is newsworthy stuff. And then you have Rush, Donald Rush of Washington, Pennsylvania. This is in Florida, by the way, so he's clearly visiting or something. He steps in at that point. He grabs his handgun and disarms Watson and holds him at gunpoint until deputies arrive. Now, by the way, I don't see a problem, by the way, Jake. This is just me. This is just my personal opinion. To me, it's different when someone holds somebody at gunpoint because they were breaking into a car as opposed to this guy just stabbed three people and I just had to disarm him. I don't have a problem with holding that guy at gunpoint. Okay, because I mean that's just right, a, whole a new, that's a whole new level of threat and and could continue to be a threat. Uh, but they hold him at gunpoint, hold him down. Police show up, arrest him. He's booked. Uh, and by the way, here's the fascinating thing about the story: not a single shot fired. Nope. Which is usually the case. I mean, frankly, the vast how you know, the vast majority of good guy gun uses in this country do not involve shots being fired. We're able to de-escalate situations pretty efficiently and effectively without shooting at people, uh, which bonus, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, this is remarkable. And I couldn't agree more with you. Like, you know, if, if this was about a purse, you know, someone grabs a purse and starts running. Okay. Yeah. Like, let's call the cops. Let's maybe see where he goes. But, but this, that's not the case for, for Mr. Rush, right? The gun owner in this case, this was an instance of, Hey, one guy's running, he's holding a knife. Like those other two guys seem to be chasing him and one of them looks hurt. And so I get my gun, I decide to see what's going on, I pursue. And when I when I get close, you know, enough, I see that we got three guys on the ground and one has stabbed the other one that hadn't been stabbed yet. So now I got two stab victims and guy still got a knife and a purse, apparently. So yeah, I, I love that at this point, like it seems very obvious this has nothing to do with the purse, it has to do with the guy stabbing people. And uh, I, I think it was pretty cool. It, I, I did I would love to have more details as to quote disarmed. Rush stepped in at that point, disarmed Watson, and held him at gunpoint. I would love to know what in the world he did to disarm the man, because the man seemed pretty intent on stabbing you know, people. He didn't seem to be too concerned. So I don't know if he physically disarmed him, or if it was merely the presence of looking at the barrel of a gun that suggested, oh, I should drop this knife. I don't know. 
so pretty pretty interesting in that regard. But uh, regardless, uh, it worked out. It was effective. Yeah, indeed, indeed it did. I told you, I mean, Jacob, before we started recording, I'm like, I want to save the best for last. I mean, is this not just, I, I think this is just an amazing story. Uh, and it should be propagated everywhere. <laughs> you know, I, this is the essence, in my in my opinion, of concealed carry. Uh, now, granted, this guy did grab his gun from his vehicle. Uh, it probably arguably could have been better. Maybe he could have stopped uh, Watson a little bit quicker, maybe prevented Jones from getting stabbed. Uh, had it been right on his person and he could have just pulled it out and, and put a, put an end to this. Um, but this is the essence of it. You know, we, we just talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, this study that, you know, suggested that, you know, the whole narrative of a, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun and that that's a false narrative, that that's not actually the case. Bull crap. Because, I mean, there's so many stories that we share on this podcast, this just being one of them, but this being a really great example of one where lives are saved by a good guy with a gun. And you know what? The anti-gunners would point at and say, any life lost by a gun, you know, by whether it be an accident or, uh, you know, or even just the crimes that are committed with guns, you know, suggesting that we should outlaw all guns because, you know, even one life lost. And I'm looking at it like this, like um, this guy, the bad guy didn't even have a gun. So, I mean, obviously we're not going to outlaw all knives, I presume. I mean, we're still going to be faced with crimes, with assaults, with murders. And this is a great example of where a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy and actually not with a gun, but stops a murderous threat. I love it. You know, how would this have been different if Donald Rush had reached into his vehicle and pulled out a knife and started chasing after, you know, these other guys? Like, can you imagine that? Like, let's jump into this knife fight with our knife. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's what the gun grabbers would have us do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, well, I don't even know about that, though, Jacob, because, I mean, look at uh, uh, Great Britain. I mean, you're, you'd be breaking the law for packing that knife around with you. Even yeah, a simple true. little pocket knife for, for self-defense. So to, to suggest that, that we would, you know, if we outlawed all guns, we'd still be able to defend ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. Fat chance, I think, uh, with some of the people that are in charge or, w- or would be in charge. So there you have it. I mean, great stories. That's a great one to end on. I hope this inspires some of you out there listening today. Uh, I also hope that you're a little bit better educated, that you're spending a little bit of time going through some mental rehearsals, determining for yourself how you're going to respond in certain situations. Play those all out in your mind and make sure that you understand the laws. By the way, with that, I want to tease that this Wednesday's episode of the podcast, uh, so recently we did a Guardian Nation live broadcast for our Guardian Nation members uh, with Andrew Branca, uh, which, you know, you had to be a member to to participate in that, and you had the opportunity to ask questions, get answers. And we actually didn't get a lot of questions from the participants. I think they were just like, I don't know if they were just chewing on their cud, you know, like trying to take that all in and, and really thinking on it, uh, or if we just happened to have enough, you know, good questions ourselves, you and I, to, but, but it was still a, a really amazing episode of Guardian Nation Live. Um, and you can still go watch that in the archive. 
if you're not already a Garden Nation member, go check that out and you can watch that archive uh, video of that of that broadcast. It was really great. Um, also, tomorrow night, Tuesday, August 15th, 7 p.m., we've got Mike Seeklander on Guardian Nation Live. And we recently had him on the podcast, which was a great episode, and I, I'm looking forward to an even greater uh, Guardian Nation Live broadcast with him tomorrow night. So once again, it's tomorrow, August 15th, 7 p.m. If you're not a member of Guardian Nation, go to guardiannation.com and consider joining. So you can participate in that. And you can ask directly to Mike uh, as we interview him uh, live. You'll see us in the webcam feed. You can ask questions and, and hear his answers, and that dude knows his stuff. And, of course, you, you, you might already know him from the American Warrior Society podcast and elsewhere. But um, So I, I had to get that out there. Join with us on this Wednesday episode with Andrew Branca uh, to talk about the law of self-defense. And we'll bring up some, I think, really good questions. We might even bring up some of these uh, recent events or stories that we've shared on the podcast and say, Andrew, you know, break this down. What's the law here? You know, that is really important stuff to understand. And so I hope you'll join us in that episode this week. And one way you can join us vicariously is submit to us some questions that you might have for Andrew. And you could do that by... uh, emailing us at support at concealedcarry.com and just put in your title, you know, question for Andrew Branca. And uh, we'll we'll be sure to ask those questions when we record. We're going to record with him tomorrow. Uh, so we don't have a lot of time here, but, um, but yeah, we're going to record that tomorrow. It'll be released on Wednesday. Get your questions in now and we'll ask them. Um, the other thing too, is Jacob, we just locked down, secured a date. And this is, by the way, dang near impossible to do because uh, Andrew is booked out to like June of next year. Uh, he travels the country, does all these uh, classes. And uh, we were able to uh, get him locked down for November 11th and 12th right here in Lakewood, Colorado. And uh, details will be uh, on, on, well, you can see them actually on his website, lawofselfdefense.com. Uh, we'll probably post something on our site somewhere as well. Um, but uh, if you'd like to be in person and attend one of his Law of Self-Defense uh, classes, uh, there will be his level one and level two class that will hold on the 11th and the 12th, respectively, here in Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, we we'll definitely encourage you to attend. Yeah, another thing that's uh, coming up, Riley, and another kind of last minute deal, but for those who are interested, this Friday, which would be August 18th, you and I are teaching Guardian Essentials Pistol, uh, which is, uh, you know, our kind of a new curriculum that we rolled out back in May. And uh, this is uh, just another you know opportunity for you to take that class if you want to come into Colorado or if you're already in the Colorado area. That's uh, the 18th. And you can learn more about that on our site, just go to colorado.concealedcarry.com and you'll see it there in the schedule. And it's going to be fun. Uh, in fact, did you see Jacob? Uh, we, we, I think we, no, I posted that on Facebook. Actually, I, I posted on Facebook. I said, look, Hey, we have this guardian essentials pistol course coming up. Just a couple of slots left, you know, come join us for this class. And Matt, uh, who was one of our students in the last class, he commented on, on that, you know, just as he said, Hey, 
if you you know this these guys are great they ran a great class i had a great time you know that sort of thing and i was like i was super tickled i mean i didn't ask him to do that obviously and just kind of he volunteered uh, his own personal recommendation so matt had a great time uh we had several others there that you know uh, just based on the feedback and the surveys we sent you know everyone seemed to really have a good time with that class so come join us on friday august 18th uh, in 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 the denver colorado area um guardian essentials pistol class great class Lots of announcements there. I wasn't necessarily meaning that to become a, a major announcement session, but uh, I, I do need to get out our sponsor messages for today. And today's episode was brought to you not only by Sports of Field Safes, but also by VTAC. Viking Tactics is a leader in quality fighting gear that really works. Designed by Special Forces veteran retired Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb, a great deal of thought and design goes into every piece, taking into account lessons learned and experience gained one can only achieve by fighting on the front lines and behind enemy lines of America's finest soldiers. Whether you need slings, weapon light mounts, belts, or training DVDs, check out VTAC's lineup of gear on concealedcarry.com. Search by by brand and look for Viking Tactics in our online store. You'll see all the great uh, product that we have from VTAC there. Uh, really great stuff. Link is also in the show notes in case you, that's easier for you to find. And then also today's episode is brought to you by Mantis X, being called the instructor in your pocket. Mantis X attaches to your firearm and sends real-time data back to your mobile phone that will guide you in correcting the most common deficiencies as a shooter. Everyone we've talked to, Jacob, you, you know this, I know this, everyone we've talked to that has tried Mantis X loves it. They go, holy cow, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen with a gun that teaches them as they're shooting what they're doing wrong and they can begin to make corrections. I learned stuff about myself, about my shooting uh, habits that I had developed that I went, huh, that's interesting. I never would have discovered that had I not tried Mantis X. Check out also our review that we did on the product and learn more at concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X. I've got nothing else. Jacob, how about you? No, I got nothing else. Thanks everyone for for being a listener. We really appreciate it. We know that um, you know your time is valuable, and that you would give some of that to us is very humbling, and we we're very grateful. So I hope you have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday. Yep. And so this is Jacob and Riley signing off from the Concealed Carry Podcast. Just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everybody. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.